Good morning, church. We are going to hear from God's word this morning in Psalm 100, if you'll read along with me. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, hey, good morning, everyone, and, and welcome in. So glad that you're with us. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors at FBC. I just want to say welcome to our online worship service where we have a chance to sing and pray together and now to jump in to God's Word. Uh, would you join me in a brief word of prayer as we get ready to do that? Father, we thank you for the gift of, of worshiping you together, even though we are uh, in different rooms. Lord, we uh, come to you with grateful hearts. We praise you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of life and of another day. And we pray now, Lord, that you'd guide us. Open our eyes as we turn to your word. Uh, would you show us who you are and teach us, Lord, to follow you faithfully. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, you can open up to Psalm 100 with us this morning. That's where we're going to be spending some time as we continue our summer series in the Psalms. Uh, Amber and I, you know, have noticed and experienced this strange reality recently as parents. Maybe you've experienced this as well. You could be so exhausted at the end of the day, ready to put your kids to bed, ready for a break, just tired and worn out. And then you get them to bed and you find yourself just a couple of minutes later on the couch, flipping through your phone, looking at pictures of them, just gushing about how cute they are and how much you miss them and how great they are. Amber and I have done this quite often. The kids will be in bed and we'll be tired from the day and then we'll be just talking together about, look at this cute picture of Zoe or look at Daniel or look at how great they are. Look at how fun they are. Look how special they are. They're so sweet today. Look at this or that. They're so special to us that we, we almost can't help but praise them and, and talk about how great they are. It just flows out of us. No one forces us to do it. It just naturally comes up out of our hearts. We can't keep it in. I realize that as, as humans, that's what we do, right? When there's something that we love or something that we think is beautiful or valuable, we praise it praise just kind of flows out of us. This is what happens when I go down for a walk at the yacht club in town, down by the marina and the water here in Benicia. Almost every time I'm there, I feel like I comment on, it is so beautiful here. Look at the trees. Look at the water. Look at the hills across the way. Look at the boats. This is beautiful. I love it here. It just kind of pours out of me. This is what you might do when, when someone mentions a movie that you love. Oh, I love that movie. Or when you start talking about uh, the, the man or woman that you love, just gush about them. Praise flows out of you. Maybe you do this with a restaurant that you love. When someone mentions, oh, we love that place. The burgers there are the best. The curry there is the best. We love it. It's our favorite. It just pours out of you. This is what we do. As people, we're hardwired to praise. It makes sense then that 
we would do this with God. If we love God and value God and see God as beautiful, we would praise Him. Now, it's important for us to keep in mind as we turn to Psalm 100 this morning, or again, we're continuing our uh, summer series we've called Learning to Pray, where we're preaching through the Psalms. I want us to see as a church really this season we're in as an incredible opportunity uh, to connect with God, to grow closer to God. Really, of all the things that we could be doing right now, should be doing uh, in this season, uh, prayer should be at the top of the list, where we seek God and listen to God and and let God guide us through this really tumultuous season. And so specifically this morning, we're looking at uh, Psalm 100. It's a psalm of praise. And as uh, it was read a few minutes ago, you, you heard that it talks about shouts for joy and worshiping God and come before Him with songs and thanksgiving and praise. And let's just be honest, maybe for you, you hear that and it sounds Sounds a bit much. You know, it sounds like a bit of overkill. I mean, why is the Bible so insistent that I praise God, that I worship God, that I thank God? Why is that so important? We're going to jump into the text and see why. Would you look at Psalm 100, verse 1 with me? It starts this way. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Enter his gates. This is now verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now this short psalm, it's pretty straightforward, okay? There's five verses. Uh, Three of them that we just read tell us to praise God with gladness, with songs, with thanksgiving, verses 1 and 2 and 4. And then the other two verses, verses 3 and and five will tell us why we should praise God. And we're going to get to that. But first I want to start here just with the fact that we should praise and worship God. Now the setting that this psalm has in mind is really uh, the people of God gathering together, entering the temple courts with, with songs, praise, with glad hearts and joyful songs. And if you've read through the psalms or other psalms, you realize how, how familiar this language is. How often the Psalms will say things like this, sing joyfully, give thanks, praise God, and so on. But have you noticed that today, in modern culture, 2020, there are very few places where you do things like this, where you sing songs out loud in large groups? I mean, you'll do it at a birthday party, right? Or you'll do it at a a sporting event, sing the national anthem perhaps, or at a, at a concert, of course. But think about it, that, that's about it. You don't walk into a, a business meeting and have your boss go, you know, before we go over this quarter's numbers, I'd like us to sing together an a cappella rendition of Don't Stop Believing." Would you join me now? One, two, three, you know? We don't do that in other places, but we sing in church. And we see throughout the history of the church and throughout Scripture, like Psalm 100, that singing together, singing songs in praise is a powerful and and really important way that we respond in worship to God. One thing to notice in the text, too, is just how emotive this response is. 
Our, our hearts are really to be engaged in worship. It says, shout for joy with gladness, joyful songs. talks about thanksgiving and praise. You know, it's, it's not just a, a cold, dry recitation of the words, right? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Now you, you get the idea. Uh, our hearts are to be engaged. We're to be moved as we sing to God. And in some churches, let's be honest, some churches are really expressive in their worship, uh, while, while other churches, uh, not so much. Our church tends to be on the not-so-much side where our, our worship, as we sing together, usually looks a little bit more uh, reserved. And sometimes that happens in a church that's, that's more serious uh, about biblical preaching or, or doctrine. There can come with it sometimes like a reserved, uh, somber approach to singing. And, and I'll be honest, I, I personally uh, lean towards songs that are a little bit slower, usually a little more reflective, that give us time to kind of reflect on, on the words that we're singing and the, the depth of the lyrics. But we can look to the Psalms like this and see that, you know what, it's okay and it's actually good to be joyful in worship. It's good to be engaged in worship. It's good to, to lift our hands, to be celebratory as we come before God. And I know that not every one of us all the time are going to be in a place where we're really joyful and glad and, and happy and jumping up and down. But again, a, a heart of, of gratitude, of joy, of celebration makes sense in light of who God is. Now, remember here that emotions are not bad. In fact, emotions and a, and a genuine heartfelt response to God is, is part of being human. Emotions are not weakness. And actually, our affections, the affections of our hearts, do not uh, undermine our worship. They actually enhance our worship because God is, is worthy of our highest, purest, strongest emotions. He deserves to receive our joy, our, our shouts, our exclamations about who He is and what He has done. Now, let's keep in mind, this psalm uh, does not only apply to corporate worship and to singing, as we've been talking about here for a minute. There's a more general uh, principle here about how we can approach God, how we are to come before God. Look again with me at, at verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So whether it's in public gatherings and we're singing or whether it's in private prayer, as our sermon series has been touching on, right, our, our prayer life, we, we approach God with a heart of thanksgiving and praise. And this is really what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6. If you remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, uh, how did he start? He said, when you pray, uh, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, so the starting point in that prayer is, God, your name deserves praise. Your name is holy. Let's start by acknowledging, God, your greatness and your glory and having our, our hearts, our affections uh, genuinely stirred by, by beholding who you are. Not only does God 
deserve this, but it's actually good for us when we do this. C.S. Lewis famously said these words. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. This is why, as we talked about earlier, we we naturally praise and celebrate the things that we love because our, our joy, our celebration of those things and our worship to God is really incomplete if we don't express it, if we don't share with God our delight in Him and we don't praise Him. But let's be honest, I, I think that for many of us, this is an underdeveloped part of our prayer life. I think we don't often always pray prayers like this prayers of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. I mean, there's that, that famous acronym for how to pray. Maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, A-C-T-S. Acts. As a kind of a guide for our prayers. The A stands for adoration. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. And S, supplication. And, and what we've been talking about so far here this morning is the A, the, the adoration, the, the awe, the worship, the praise of God. And what we tend to do with that acronym is we just kind of skip towards the end. Like, let's just go right to the S, to the, the supplication. Let's bring our list, bring our requests, bring our desires. God, let's just jump right in, and here's what we want. Here's what we'd like you to do. Thank you very much, and we'll be on our way. Now, certainly there are times where it's uh, completely appropriate to come before God with just our requests, and supplication, and our needs, or the needs of others, and just jump right in and say, God, we know you hear us, and here's what we need, and here's what's on our hearts, and here it is. Lord, help us. But in general, our prayer life should be marked by, by thanksgiving and praise. As you look at our prayer life as a whole, does it incorporate this joyful celebration of who God is? thanking God for His greatness, acknowledging who He is before we ask Him what we want. And so I think that Psalm 100 here can be an opportunity for us to look at the anatomy of our prayer life and have an honest assessment in prayer. How often do I praise God and thank God for who He is? You know, what, what percent of my prayers start that way? If my whole life of prayer was a pie chart, okay, and a pie chart uh, represented all the time that you spend in prayer, what what percent of it do you think would be praise and thanksgiving and awe before God? What percent of it would be confessing sin? What what percent of it would be uh, just a list of requests for yourself or for other people. Again, all those things should be part of it, but it should make us wonder, is it proportional? For me, often the, the percent of my prayer life that is spent in awe and worship and praise and thanksgiving uh, to God is, is, is less than I would like it to be. And so if, if you're like me, I think the rest of this psalm will help us maybe grow in that area. 
So what we're going to do is use uh, the rest of our time this morning looking at uh, the other two verses of Psalm 100, verses 3 and 5. Uh, these other two verses that say not just that we should praise God, but it gives us the reason why. Because again, maybe you're still wondering, why is the Bible so resolute about our need to praise and celebrate God? Well, look with me at verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So you notice in the text, the psalm gives us several reasons why we should praise and worship God. And the first is this. It's because of who He is, right? Verse 3 says, the Lord is God. He is God. God deserves our worship. As God, He deserves and is worthy of our full devotion. So to put anything else in, in the place of God would be foolish, would be Uh, idolatry, to orient our lives around anyone or anything else is offensive to God, because He alone deserves that. And we can catch a little bit of this, a glimpse of this maybe in our human relationships. Think about with your parents, and if you were to ask, well, well, why should I uh, honor and respect my parents? Well, it's like, well, sure, they, they feed me, and sure, they, you know, buy everything that I have and take care of me and provide, you know, a place for me to live and all that as you're growing up, but, but also in, in, a, in a truer sense, well, this, they're, they're your parents. So it's so not even uh, talking about the things that they do for you, which we could say plenty about that, but just the fact that they are your parents means you should honor them, respect them, obey them. You, you've been placed under their authority and their care, and so because of who they are, because of the role they have in your life, honor them as your parents. So that applies, obviously, in a much greater way for all of us before God. He is God, and as God, He deserves our worship. So we worship God because of who He is, as verse 3 says. Know that the Lord is God. But also we worship Him for who He is in the sense of uh, His character or His heart. Okay, and so look at verse 5 again. What does it say? It says, For the Lord is good. So not just, hey, praise God because he's God and he's your authority and you really ought to praise God, although all of that is, is true, but, but praise God because he is good and he's beautiful and he's faithful and he's loving and he always does what is right. He, he's worthy of praise because of his heart and his character. God is worthy of our praise because of who he is. And also you see the psalm talk about because of what he has done. Okay, look at the rest of verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. Okay, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Okay, so know that the Lord is God. Hey, it's he who made us, which could be saying one of two things. One, it could be speaking of the doctrine of creation. Okay, God created us. God created all things. Before God created us, nothing else existed. And God brought it all into being. We exist because of God and His creative work. It also may be speaking about uh, God making us as His people. So 
So it is he who made us, meaning it is he who, who gathered us and created us as his people, meaning the people of Israel in the Old Testament will be reading it and say, he's the one who, who made us into a nation. He's the one who made us into uh, the family of God and made us his people. Or we could say, you know, in uh, New Testament times now, or on this side of the cross, for us as Christians, uh, it is he who, who put us in this new family as the church. He, he made us his people. Now, both of those things are true, right? The doctrine of creation, that our very existence is only because uh, God is our creator. That's true. And also, uh, this new uh, identity and place that we have as a part of the people of God is not our own doing, right? We're not saved by works. We're saved by God's grace. And so God created us, uh, and God called us and brought us into his family. So it is he who made us. Also, it says, and we are his, we're his people. Verse 3 goes on to say, we are the sheep of his pasture. So God created us, or he called us to himself, and now we belong to him, and he sustains us in the present. Right? And what's the image that the psalm gives us? We are his sheep, which means that he is our shepherd. He's the one who sustains us. And, and realize that the nearness of this language, the proximity of this language, how, how close God is to us. We're talking, of course, about God Almighty, about uh, know that the Lord is God. There's this transcendent, almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God in power and in glory. But now that same God is the one who has made us, and we are his people. We are are his sheep, it says. And we've seen elsewhere in Scripture how the Bible uses that image of a shepherd and his sheep to explain our relationship with God. Because shepherds do what? They, they care for their sheep. They feed their sheep. They protect their sheep. They guide their sheep. They, they know their sheep. They go and find their sheep when they're lost. So think about how intimate that language is. Not only is God again, transcendent and almighty and sovereign in power and glory, he is, he is imminent, he is near, he is close, he knows us by name and he calls us. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we see what God has done in the past, how God sustains us in the present and you probably see what's coming in verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we have past, present, and future represented in this psalm. His love endures forever. God is faithful forever. He gives us the promise of eternal life. That he will renew and redeem his broken world. And so the hope for Christians is that even in death, we can trust him. Even in death, we belong to God. And friends, of course, this promise, this reality is clearly seen in, in the person and work of Jesus. Because what does Jesus, our good shepherd, promise us? Those who follow him and trust in him will receive what? Eternal life. That though we die, we shall live. That just as he was raised to new life, so we will be resurrected with him to live with God and with 
the people of God and God's good world that's redeemed forever. And so it's because of the work of Jesus, because of the cross, because of his death for you and for me, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took all the consequences and penalty and punishment for sin upon himself so that those who trust in him could be forgiven and cleansed and washed and given new hearts and new identities and and restored to a right relationship with this God who loves us. That's the hope of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to let today be that day where you hear him call out to you saying, follow me, come find life in me. Come experience the forgiveness of sins and the love of God both now and forever through Jesus. And notice that this psalm, again, is primarily about about the people of God celebrating these realities, about who God is and how God cares for us. Meaning that there are people who belong to God and people who are rejecting God, people who do not want to follow God, people who stand opposed to God or don't trust in the Lord. So the invitation is for us to be people who trust God, who, who make that decision to say, I will follow. I'll turn from my sin. I'll turn from my self-centered ways. Jesus, you are what I need. You are the only king. You are the only savior. You are the one whom I trust is in. I would love to talk with you more about making that decision, about what it means to follow Jesus. You can fill out your connection card and let us know that you have questions. We'd love to walk with you as you turn to the Lord. Now, one other thing I will say about this psalm is notice that uh, this prayer, this praise is in response to who God is, right? Who God is and what God has done. And so we have to uh, know and learn to understand who it is that we're praying to. We have to to let our understanding of God be shaped and informed, not not just by our our opinions or maybe what we want God to be like, but, but who God actually says he is as revealed in his word. Modern author uh, Anne Lamott wrote a a book about prayer, and in it she says this phrase. She says, let's not get bogged down on on whom or what we pray to. And that's kind of a modern sentiment, I think, that maybe some would agree with. Like, hey, we all pray. We all want to connect with with something bigger out there. Uh, It doesn't really matter what it is or who it is or, or what it's like. There's just some bigger kind of mystery reality out in the universe that we want to connect with. And so just, yeah, pray, throw some things up there, and God or whatever it is there will hear you, and that's really what's important. But that's not what Scripture shows us to be true. Scripture actually shows that it really does matter who we, we pray to, that there is one sovereign creator God who calls us to pray to him. And, and we're supposed to know who he is as he's revealed himself to be. as good and faithful, worthy of praise. Our creator, our sustainer, our savior. So I want to encourage you, to, to, we are to learn to pray and use God's word as our guide to truly know who we are praying to. And so friends, we, we praise God for who he is and we praise God for what he has done. But, but maybe again, maybe you're here this morning and you're still not quite convinced. And like the Bible's persistent direction to praise and worship God seems unnecessary or it seems petty. I want to just talk about this from one other possible angle. 
The Bible teaches not only that we ought to praise God and we should praise God because he deserves it and look at all the things that he has done, but also there's this reality that we actually harm ourselves if we don't worship God. So it's actually in our own self-interest to worship God. And here's what I mean. You may be familiar with the, the late author, American author, David Foster Wallace, who's fairly influential. Uh, he didn't, as far as I'm aware, didn't consider himself to be a Christian. Uh, but, but he gave some insightful comments about worship in a commencement speech back in 2005 that is fairly well known. He says this. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. So everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. To worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you'll need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Friend, he's really on to something here. He's essentially saying, if you worship anything other than God, it will destroy you. And the Bible says the same thing. You will think that other things will be serving you, but ultimately you will become a slave to whatever it is that you're serving. You'll become a slave. You'll become burdened. You will destroy yourself trying to worship things other than God. The only way to find true freedom, joy, lasting life is to wholeheartedly devote yourself to the God who made you and who knows you and who loves you. The only way to find true freedom in life is to embrace the gospel, to look to Jesus. He's the only God, he's the only Savior that you can follow that will give you life rather than enslave you and give you true freedom. So here's the thing, too, is we, we learn to worship often unconsciously. We don't always think about it, but we're shaped and conditioned by our environment, by the world around us. Uh, we're, we're taught what to love and what to value, how to value ourselves or value other things. We're compelled, not often by rational arguments, but by a picture of the good life that the culture holds out to us. And it's not centered on Jesus, but our imaginations are, are captured by a vision of flourishing and life that's centered on, on wealth or comfort or, 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 or sex or popularity or, or self-expression. These are the things that our culture really values, and that's reinforced all the time through so many habits of ours and just daily rhythms, or whether it's movies or books or things that we read or social media. Uh, the values of our culture over time, without fully realizing it, uh, shape us and point us and, and have us buy in to these realities that are not centered on Jesus. And so the compass of our hearts 
is essentially directed at the wrong things. And so we pursue the wrong things without, again, even having made a rational choice sometimes to do so. And friends, this is why church, this is why worship is so important. It's not to, to feed my ego or the other pastor's ego. It's not about uh, just checking some sort of spiritual box. And so we really want you to be here because you just got to check that box off. Or there's just, there's just spiritual content, like information transfer, that's all that we're about. It's not those things. We worship, we come to church because we need to be formed and shaped by the gospel. We need to tell and retell and celebrate the gospel to have our hearts captured by the beauty of God. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we look to God's word to remember who God is, to celebrate who God is, to have our hearts properly oriented towards what is true and beautiful and right. And this is true for all of us, especially though if we're young, especially young people here, what or who you worship will determine the trajectory of your life. What or who you worship and pursue will determine the trajectory of our life. And if our hearts are off, and if they're calibrated towards the wrong things, it can be devastating. Just the way if a ship and their compass is off, ships will be shipwrecked. Now when you take all this in, who God is and what God has done, praise and worship is the natural appropriate response. This is why the psalmist can say, shout for joy, worship with gladness, come before God with thanksgiving and praise. Look at how great God is. And so in closing, friends, I simply want to encourage you to incorporate this sort of prayer into your prayer life, to to thank God for who he is before you tell God what you want. And here's a simple way to do this. We need to use the Bible as our guide. So before you pray, read a psalm. Before you pray, read a portion of of scripture, then you don't have to try and like think up in the moment, I'm cold, or I'm, oh, it's late, or I haven't had my coffee yet, or I'm not fully, you know, firing mentally on all uh, cylinders right now. You can let scripture guide your prayers. And so you can read a verse about how God has saved us by grace in Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And so you can simply turn that into a prayer and say, God, Thank you for saving me by grace. Thank you for saving me. Uh, Not based on my own merit or efforts. It's all a gift from you. Thank you, God. You are so good. Or you can read a verse about the majesty of God and uh, the power of God, how the heavens declare the glory of God. And you say, God, I, I thank you for being so powerful, for creating everything. And nature and, and the universe and, and the beauty of the world around me, it shows me who you are. You are good and worthy of praise. Or you could read a psalm about God's faithfulness, like Psalm 100, saying, God, you are faithful. Your love endures forever. And so thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you that whether in life or death, I belong to you. Thank you, thank you that my future is secure in you, no matter the, the circumstances. That brings so much confidence into my life, God. So much security for my heart and peace. Thank you. And see, so we can use Scripture and read what does Scripture tell us about God and then turn that into prayer. So as we're doing our church-wide Bible reading plan, you can do that. Hey, based on what I just read, what did it tell me about God? 
and then turn it into prayer. And so my hope is that seeing this walk through uh, Psalm 100, again, we can see that we should praise and worship God. We should bring uh, thanksgiving and praise to him because of who he is and because of what he's done. And we can start to practice prayer as being more about what we give than what we get. And in prayer, we get to give praise and thanks and honor to God because he is good. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. We just declare the words uh, of this psalm. You are good. Your love endures forever. You are God. You, you made us. We are yours. We are your people. We are your sheep. We thank you for those truths that our past, present, and future is secure because of you and your love. So God, our hearts are, are glad and joyful, and I, I know that uh, we just so often need reminders of this, because some of us, our hearts are heavy, and even still now, Lord, our, our hearts are heavy and burdened with the tensions and the realities of life that we're facing, and so I pray you just help us look to you. Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Because you are a good and faithful God, and you have saved us and given us eternal hope because of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to sing one more song, and then we are going to be on Zoom at the after party. Hope you'll join us. The link will be in the chat. So glad that you've been with us.